welcome to the third episode of the Long Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Doug Conley, and here is the host of the Brains, Jerry Fragon. Jerry, how you doing? Good, Doug. How are you doing? Just fine, thank you. Good. Jerry was just opining on the merits of Frasier as I was uh, getting the ones and twos ready. I'm listening. It's hard to believe Kelsey Grammer played the same character for like 20 years. It is. He was fun in that show. Yes, I would agree. It's a good, it's a good show. Although I hadn't watched every episode, uh, not, not the way I'd watch Cheers. Yes, it's that and the Big Bang Theory are sort of the, the crash watching shows these days for us. But anyway. Have you watched Frasier recently? I have. I think Frasier, the, the, what I've watched in the not-too-distant past does seem to hold up, uh, as does Cheers. Cheers holds up very well. Yeah, it's funny. I haven't, I haven't looked at Cheers lately, but I did see a guy that looked like Nami. Nami? Norm. No, Norm. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. Nami. The, uh, so I, we have, John Ratzenberger, I think, was the John guy Ratzenberger was Cliff. The, was Cliff, and, who would say hey, Nami. Yeah, George Went would have been Norm. So, great ensemble show. Um, I think George passed away a while back. George went not too long ago because I did see him play an uncle, the rich uncle on okay. a Disney sitcom. But he did pass away. I hope he's. I don't know. With a rumors about maybe start. I'm wrong. Depending on how well this episode gets distributed, <laughs> <laughs> a rumor about him George went passing away is about to get started. So today we are going to record an episode on the importance of narrative in our investing style. Not every one invests according to a narrative. It's an integral part of what we do at Taylor for Gone. So, Jerry, starting off at a high level. Well, we narrative. always talk about owning well-managed companies in front of fertile fields of future growth. And so how do you find fertile fields of future growth? That's a pretty loaded term. I don't. You do. Correct. Well, I don't either. It's our team that does, but I'm part of that, I guess. Um, nonetheless, the the concern about the term narrative is, is, and we've even thought about, should we change that term? Because often it's kind of a negative connotation about a narrative. It's like you're trying to spin something or, you know, what's the story of the day? And we've gone roundabout on that and come back to that. No, it's a narrative because we are trying to tell a story. We're, we're, we're looking at what it, what is, what are the stories? What are the narratives? Um, thinking in terms of the difference between managing money with a purely financial, like all you're looking at or balance sheet and income statement, um, concerned about next quarter's earnings versus, you know, what's, what is truly the story that this business is bringing to the table for the next, you know, five to 10 years. And so we've stuck with the term narrative and the way we do it, starting at the, the very highest level uh, is we've divided the world into three, what we call schema, demographics, technology, and business processes. And we believe that every company falls into one, two, or, or for that matter, potentially all three of those schema. And so when we're thinking of, for example, demographics, that's pretty obvious. Um, you know, we, you know, dividing the, the world up into the baby boomers and the Gen X's and the Gen Z's and the millennials and, and what have you, it, it really, you can follow those, those generational 
trends and for the impact that they're going to have or they have had on um, on the economy by their behaviors uh, as it relates to everything, housing, how they deal with finances, what what is popular for them to buy from a consumer standpoint. And so, uh, and each of, you know, if we, we break down, uh, you know, baby boomers, which we, uh, I commonly like to say the, the worst thing to ever happen to the planet Earth, the baby boom generation. Um, what an annoying lot we are. But nonetheless, it barely slipped in there, right? You're yeah, barely, I barely boomer. slipped yep. in. But I, I, I admit, I'm I'm a baby boomer, tail end, grabbing the the tail end of the baby boom. But it's a it certainly has been a a powerful force with respect to you know their habits and their um, tendencies as far as uh, the pathologies for sure. Um, so, you know, but you know, for example. Um, you know, the aging baby boom is a classic health healthcare industry, um, medical technology, medical device, hips and knees and being replaced and what have you. Um, and then you go, you know, go right down to, you know, Gen X, which was sort of the lost generation. I think that's you. Um, and then the millennials, of course, which can have their own annoyances. Um, and then Gen Z, which actually there's some really interesting positive characteristics about Gen Z um, coming along, I think. But nonetheless, the, you know, that, that's how we would think of demographics. Um, technology, of course, that's all encompassing and can cover healthcare, medical technology. We just discussed medical devices. Um, I think, incidentally, I think Gen X basically must have taken over naming the generations maybe. because you've got the you got the greatest generation, the baby boomers, and then Generation X was started because you know Generation X was the X had a meaning. But then somewhere along the line, everyone just stopped caring and we're like, okay, we're just do generation Y and then generation Z. Yeah, yeah. So I think that sounds like a Gen X. We ba- we're firmly in charge of taking over and we just don't care. You had nothing else to do. Yes, exactly. So going back to technology, um, and, and as I said, you can, can include healthcare in that. Um, some of the, te- the technology narratives around building out of the, of the network, you know, that's been a long time one, kind of like the baby boom getting older. Um, and then turning to business processes, uh, this is about how do businesses conduct themselves? What, are, what are some of the, you know, trends that are, that are changing or evolving or reverting in some cases. And I'll give an example of that. Um, for years, the outsourcing theme or narrative was, was very powerful. Um, companies outsourcing their non-core competencies made a lot of sense. Um, in some ways, however, as time has passed, and I, I mean, that was a narrative that was 30 years ago that we started talking about that. Um, that's definitely reverted in some ways We're now, now insourcing is another trend. Um, as companies started to find that certain things, even though they may not have been non-core, they could still do more efficiently at, at, at home, if you will. Um, kind of some of the, the, uh, the aspects of what's going wrong with our supply chain right now comes, you know, insourcing or bringing it back. Yeah, it's maybe it's not our core competency to make the product. We're we're about designing the product, but uh, we put ourselves at risk in a lot of ways with supply chain problems when it, when it's completely outsourced. So that gives you somewhat of an overall view, or kind of a like a hundred thousand foot, uh, maybe down to thirty thousand foot view. Um, and as I said, companies can cross over those schema 
and there can be a company that fits a narrative in demographics, but also um, a, a, you know has a technology component. Particularly when you think of the millennials, um, financial technology or fintech has become um, kind of a, an important narrative in, in that demographic group because of just the significant change in the way they are interacting with finance versus. Uh, you know, their parents, the, the baby boomers or their grandparents, the, the greatest generation. For sh- the, the, the difference in the way um, consumers are, are, are interacting with finance and financial companies has been stark from, from the greatest generation to, to the millennials, for sure. Well, once you've divided the world into narratives, though, what, what's the next process or the next point in the process? Because simply fitting into one of those three narratives or even two or all three of them, isn't necessarily a reason to invest. Well, in remember those are the, the schema. Think of the big picture as the schema, and then the narrative. There's there can be there's literally tens, if not hundreds, of narratives within all, all of those. So the, the, where the, that's where the real work comes in. That's where you know the the research and the and the you know reading. I mean, you you pretty much have to read just about everything out there to really get a good sense of what's happening in those three schema and how how can we apply that to the companies that we're looking at and to determine what companies fit in the narratives that we think are important? Um, and how do we determine what's important as a narrative within those schema? Well, it's, it, you know, some of it is more obvious than, than others. Um, you know, for example, in technology, while the building out of the network continues and the, the continued improvement in how fast data is moving around, um, as well as how, um, you know, how much, how connected everything is. I think, I think actually to a great degree, if you think of back in the late nineties, 2000 era, it was, it was more about speed and building out this big pipe for you to be able to jam a whole lot more data through, um, which is still important and still improving, but, more than ever now, uh, or, or what's what's maybe overtaken that is connectivity. Is you know what kind of technologies are out there that are allowing you to be connected to that network? The network is is maybe the the growth in, in in bandwidth, for example, or the increase in bandwidth is getting to a point where it's 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 pretty it's it's pretty pretty use, useful as it is. Uh, maybe the 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 significant increase in bandwidth is kind of waning a bit. But connectivity issues become more and more important as we get into more than just connectivity in the way of having your phone connected to the network versus having all kinds of machines in a manufacturing facility, for example, connected to the network as a means to be able to more efficiently manufacture. So when you think of things like Internet of Things as a common term that's used, it's overused, but nonetheless, it is is a valuable um, narrative that's that's a that's a significant narrative in in the way things will be done going forward particularly in enterprises and in particular particularly even further broken down to how things are manufactured is what to that point isn't that where you see the real value in 5g is the factory connectivity as opposed to just people having a faster network to communicate absolutely in fact 5g from a general telecommunications standpoint i think is more of a marketing scheme than than actual technology not a schema it's a scheme um whereas i mean basically it's the virtualization of the network um as that as software becomes more um better able and better capable of handling 
massive amounts of data and at a speed that's you know very fast um, low latency obviously in a manufacturing process m- more so than just a telephone call um, latency is huge you can't have your machines not being really well synced and 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 working with extremely low latency and high efficiency or else you're going to have manufacturing problems but the efficiencies that can come from that if that's got if, if you get that right are massive and do you think that seems like in the last 10 15 years a lot of what we've been selling selling is paradigm shifting really seems to be just making people a little more interconnected a little more fat and and the speeds a little faster it seems it seems like we've been there haven't been as is we're on the cusp of some paradigm shifting things with, with regards to the narrative but i feel like when i read Maybe I don't want to say contrarian, but I think I feel I feel like a, a lot of good points have been made that we probably haven't had as many global changes in the way we live in the last fifteen years as we might think. People, things have just been getting faster and a little more connected. But at the end of the day, you know, people are still. It seems like it's just the smartphoneization of everything and the app the, the appization. Well, of everything. I think it's really important, and we've talked for years about the differentiation between platform technology and apps. Um, I think a lot of what we've seen thus far has been applications, some of which are not particularly all that useful, but nonetheless, and and there was a a while there, maybe not as much today, but say, you know, 10 years ago. Um, for sure, 15 to 20 years ago, it was all about, you know, I'll write an app and get it on the app store and I'll make, you know, five to $10 million from, from Apple, buy it from me or whatever, and, and run on to the next project. I think we ran, we kind of ran the gamut on that. We got as far as we can go on that platform. Now the platform side of things, which is, you know, is it, is it meaningful enough that I can build many different applications and have them become much, have them be even more useful on an application. So if I think of, and this is a company that we've, we owned over the years and um, did very, very well with it. Um, and, and no problem mentioning it. We don't own it anymore. Although we do use the technology as Salesforce. I mean, Salesforce was a classic platform that they were not so worried about writing applications. All they were, were worried about was making sure that they were getting as many people on their application as they, uh, excuse me, on their platform as they possibly could. And from there, they built a massive business. Um, so as far as, you know, have we kind of, maybe I'm understanding your point as, were we were we running out of useful options or, we're getting to a point where there was a lot of technology or or perceived technology coming along that really wasn't necessarily improving our lot that much. Definitely that case. I think that the technological benefits, the case can be made that they're, they've, we're marginally faster, marginally more connected. And there haven't been in the last 10 to 15 years, that many global shifts to how we live. Uh, But, and, and then Add on to the fact that those marginal benefits probably become at some sort of mental illness cost, but but that's that's a, that's a tangent. Well, I, I, I mean, look, I think that I don't want to get too carried away. I mean, there's you know, in, in in saying that we haven't made a lot of progress because I mean we have. I mean, it's a lot. One of the things that's I think important to consider is how 
what does it take in the way of effort for a person to be able to, um, how much work does it take for a person to to, to have to put in work and make money in order to buy a particular product today? And I would say that it's significantly less, you know, what it used to, how many hours a person used to have to work to buy a computer, for example, pick any computer, um, was was significantly more hours would have had to be worked in order to be able to afford to buy you know these various consumption consumer items many of which have made our lives a lot better that said i don't think we get can get carried away that not you know there are a lot of things that haven't improved one that we've talked about before is for example air travel i'm kind of amazed that what was it the supersonic travel the concord was around in the 60s and you know, was able to get you from New York to London in a fairly short, you know, a couple hours or something. And here we are now, however many, 40, 50 years later, we, we haven't improved upon that. Now, I think a lot of that was because of, you know, why did that, why did it go away? I think because it created sonic booms and, you know, whether it was environmentalists or just in general, you know, society didn't want those sonic booms. And so the SST stopped. It's kind of remarkable though. They wouldn't figure out a way to make that still useful and, and, and be acceptable to, to folks. So, I mean, there are certain things that have kind of been head scratchers as to why with all of our technological prowess, have we not been able to figure out a way to get from New York to LA or from L, you know New York to London in an hour or two. Um, and we haven't, I mean, air travel is pretty much the same today as it would in, in our, in large part, it's worse. Um, certainly from a, from a user experience in a lot of ways, it's worse. It's definitely um, worse if my family's on the plane with you. Well, <laughs> I can, yeah, five kids, I can imagine. Um, so I think there's, yeah, I, I think there's truth on both sides of that. We've, we've definitely made progress enough that, that, um, we're, we're in, a, in many ways we're, we're way more efficient, um, but certainly a question can be asked and probably answered in the affirmative. Yeah, but, you know, have we really progressed as much as we should have? Um, you know, there's some thought out there that, frankly, we should be way further along with the advancement of technology over the last 50, 40, 60 years um, than we are. In fact, I think Peter Thiel wrote a book, Zero to One, that was was about that very topic. Um, so... Wasn't Blake Masters in on that too? He was. So what do you see now? Do you see any narratives that really coming along that really could be represent either paradigm shifts or leaps? You know, we're not just talking about getting faster. Maybe 5G is somewhere in between the, those two because we're talking about that is making us making things faster, but it's also it, it, it you probably know well, you definitely know better than I do. That could represent a real shift in in manufacturing. What other, what other lucrative narratives do you see potentially lucrative in terms of, in terms of really you know, changing the game? To use a tired expression. Well, I think that the um, in technology, the crypto world, which really is blockchain distributed computing, is the next major technological wave. It's happening as we speak. I think over the next five to ten years, it's it's going to transform everything about technology and how we inter how we how we think of it today how we certainly how and where data resides and um you know the 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 
as our friend George Gilder wrote in his book, Life After Google, um, the hyperscale public cloud company that has so much control over the data in their own data centers starts to wane. And, and we, we, we gain access to the world's computers, if you will, um, by way of distributed computing. It's kind of a reversion back to, you know, the way, the way things used to be. I mean, you think computing started with the mainframe and everything was centralized Then it got distributed back out with desktop and PC and what have you. Then it came kind of back into being centralized again with the public cloud. Well, now it's, you know, distributing out again. It just depends on, you know, where I think at this point it's, it's, it's a lot about where does the data reside and get crunched to the extent that, you know, any one or two or three or five companies, you know, have the dominant, you know, control over data. That's, I believe, will wane over these next five to 10 years. And as we get more and more kind of the pushing out onto the edge, if you will, of the network, more and more um, computing happening happening in, in, in all of the different computers that are around the world, literally where think of it like Amazon Web Services just becomes another node on the network. Well, and as I close things up, there's narrative being a big part of our process. It, and also there's a fair amount of art versus science with regard to this. So we can't, we can't give a, a crash course completely, but I would like to know, aside from just investing with Taylor for gone, how can any individual investor incorporate narrative into their process? We have a research team. And so it's not a huge research team, but it is a research team. It's a team effort. Most investors, it's a solo game. So is there a way for them to effectively incorporate this into how they invest? Well, I don't see why not. I mean, it's just, you know, I've always said that, and I'll say just about every time we talk about investing that what we're doing isn't rocket science. I, I would say it's actually a whole lot more art than science, but it's not rocket science. It's not something that, um, unlike what Wall Street wants to peddle all the time as being, you know, we know, but we know best because this is so complicated and we're so smart. Uh, that's not our view at all. I, I think anybody can do what we do. It's just you have to be extremely disciplined. You have to have defined what it is that you're looking for. You know, know what you're looking for. Um, have a disciplined approach to, to, to that process. And it takes just a significant amount of tenacity and, and, and due diligence that most people don't want to take the time to do, um, which is why we have a job. It, you know, I would be the first to say, you know, somebody's got the time and inclination and um, wants to go for it. And, and, you know, knowledge can be gained. So it's just like I said earlier, we read a ton. I mean, we're reading just about everything that we can get our, our eyeballs on. Um, it makes it hard to have casual reading as a hobby because we spend most of our days reading um, everything and anything we can get our hands on that's, that's lining up to a, a particular narrative that we like. Um, so definitely the narrative part of it is, is, is the hard part, really plugging companies into those narratives because, you know, we'll then be on the, while, while we're, while we're thinking through and reading about and, and developing our narratives, which we actually do write out um, the same side of this, the other, the other part of it is then going through and, and, and searching the world for the companies that, that we think might fit those narratives. Um, and so it's kind of a, 
it's it's screening in both directions, both bottom up and top down, I suppose you would say from the standpoint of if you want to think of the schema, then the narratives and then the sub themes and themes that come from those narratives as being sort of a, a, a you know, a funneling approach um, on, on, on a, on a more top down basis. And then the, you know, screening of companies um, as being more bottom up, then, you know, that's, I've always said it's for what, what we're doing is somewhat of a combination of a top down and a bottom up approach to things. And I say that really lightly because top down implies that we're about macroeconomic trends and all those kinds of things. And those come into play, but um, I would say it's more microeconomic as a, as a top, as the top part of it. You know, we're not worried about, you know, we're not worried about what's GDP growth going to look like in the next six, 12, 24 months. I mean, obviously we're, we're paying attention to those things, but we're, I think we're always naturally going to be um, in companies that tend to do wealth regardless of what's happening in the economy, because we're looking for innovative companies and, you know, in difficult times, it's the innovative companies that ultimately end up coming out on the other end pretty well off. Um, either because they're category killers and they can continue to grab market share from the more you know inefficient, less less well managed companies, um, and and I would add on that as I'm saying that it's reminding me to point out that well managed companies in fertile in front of fertile fields of future growth is very important and together. So you can you can have a company that's in a fertile field, but their management is terrible and it's turning over all the time and and that doesn't work. Just the same side of it is you can have a super management team, but they just don't have a business that makes a lot of sense. Now I would, I, I would argue that the poorly managed company in a front of a fertile field um, will probably have more problems than the one that's well-managed in a maybe less than fertile field. <laughs> well, you know, smart business people tend to figure things out. Um, Sometimes that involves figuring out just how to get out of the business. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, whereas if you're, you know, if you're trying to make, you know, make lemon, lemonade out of lemons, it's tough. Last time I saw 3M pivoted away from mining. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That's a great, great analogy. All right. Well, we're uh, getting a little bit up there in time and we wanted to keep this one uh, bite-sized. Not quite. It's a big bite. Uh, So, but when we get talk, it's tough to squeeze narrative into 12 minutes. So No, this will be one I'm sure we'll talk about over and over again over time. I think it will come up again. So again, thank you for checking us out. Be sure to rate us on iTunes if you liked what you heard here. Five stars would be great. And for Jerry Fragon, this is Doug Conley. Thank you for listening. <laughs>